Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. We had a, a good trip, and um, uh, Thursday we were at Pastor Morgan's home going. And I sat there and I just looked around and I saw a lot of people that we've known for years and years, people that Donna grew up with in church, in that church. Uh, and I just looked and, and uh, some of the people that were up there on stage were people who were in full-time ministry that had grown up under him. Brother Morgan was a unique man. He started preaching. He got saved on June the 6th, 1954. Everybody that knew him knows June the 6th, 1954 in Louisville, Kentucky. And then in September of that same year, he started preaching. So he got saved and started preaching three months later. Now, that'd be very difficult to do today. Times have kind of changed, but he started preaching three months later. He didn't quit preaching until, well, he didn't retire. He tried to retire in 1996, couldn't retire. Came back and started another church, and then in 2017, he officially retired because of health reasons. He and his wife and, but he would still preach if you'd let him. So in 2017, so from 1954 to 2017, he carried the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. During that time, he preached over 11,000 sermons, ministered and won over, over 1,000 people to the Lord, over 2,000 people to the Lord, over 1,000 people uh, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, many people in the ministry. And I'm sitting there and I'm just looking around and I'm looking at this large room that's full of people and I'm looking at fruit that remains. I'm looking at that. And it began to dawn on me. I began to think, you know, every single one of us are going to leave a mark. And the type of mark that we leave really depends on us. The choices that we make. If you want tomorrow to be different than today, make a different choice that will get you in a different place tomorrow. You're where you are today because of the choices that you've made. If we keep doing the same things that we've always done, we'll always have what we've always had. It's the little things that matter. Little hinges swing big doors. Small decisions create great impact in our life. And so it's important for us to make sure that we realize that we're not just here to take up space. God put you on this earth for a reason. And He put inside of you great talents. He put inside of you great abilities that probably no one else has. There may be some that have them similar like the different musicians, but no one can play the piano like Charles. No one can play the guitar like Whitney, by the way, who did a great job this morning. No one, that's right. No one can, no one can play the drums like Tony and definitely no one can play the drums like my daughter Nikki. What a... The point, that, the point that I'm trying to make is God has put talents in you. God has put talents in you. He's put special things inside of you that He's asking you to share with the world. Now, if you don't share that with the world, then how is, how, how is the world ever going to reap the benefit of it? So we're going to leave a mark. We're either going to leave a Christian mark or we're going to leave a not-so-Christian mark. We're going to all leave a mark. And so the question that I was faced with was, what kind of mark am I going to leave on the earth today? 
Now, there's no such things as nine lives on cats, but if you were a cat and there was such thing as nine lives, we're not a cat. We have one life. And only one life. And there's one thing that I've learned through the years as I've gotten older is that life goes by a whole lot faster than I thought it would. I mean, when I was 12 years old, I didn't want Jesus to come until I was 16 because I wanted to make sure that I got my driver's license and I wanted to drive. I'm 51 years old. I've been driving for years and years and years and years. Then I wanted to make sure that I was able to vote in the next election, so I was praying, Lord, don't come until at least I can vote for a president one time. Lord, I want to at least vote for a president. I want to exercise my civic duty, and I want to do that because I was always, in, uh, I was always interested in government and civics and things like that. And so I'm thinking, wow, if the Lord, you know, is, is, things are wrapping up, Jesus is getting ready to come. I hope He don't come before I get to vote the first time. Then I got to thinking, like many young men, Lord, I don't want you to come until I get married. Lord, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to have a young wife. I'd like to, all this kind of thing. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, the years are going by. It's, you know, 19 years old and 20 years old. And man, I'm old now. I'm 20. I'm no longer a teenager. I'm old, old, old. I'm thinking I'm really old. And I'm looking at 30 years old and 35 years old. And I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to be old and be 35 years old before I get married. I'm thinking 35 is old, right? Well, let me tell you 20-year-olds, 35 is not old. It's not old. You're just getting cranked up at 35, okay? You're getting cranked up. But all of these different things, and I'm thinking 25 years old, and Lord, I hope the Lord doesn't come before I'm 25. Well, here we are. It, it seemed like all of that was just yesterday. I've learned only one life, the song we sing, which will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ Will last. So here's what I want to point out today. I've entitled this message, I Will Not Relent. I want to point out that we need to focus on what really matters. You can earn all kinds of money. You can pass it on to your generations. Maybe they'll be able to keep it. Maybe they won't. Money tends to evaporate. Sometimes it gets spent, right? And you get a lot of money, and it's, it's amazing how many people have won the lottery and they're broke seven or eight years later, bankrupt, totally. I mean, millions and millions of dollars and totally bankrupt seven or eight years later because they haven't been trained. They didn't change the habits that kept them broke to begin with. And then you go on, you can buy a beautiful home. Let me tell you something, doesn't matter how good you build that home, doesn't matter how long it's supposed to last, doesn't matter what the builder says, it might be 100 years, it might be 200 years, but it ain't going to be long And uh, in, in the, you know, as far as society goes and as far as years go, that home will eventually break down and fall down. So it's going to leave, it's going to go. You can get yourself a beautiful car that speaks of your society, your place in society. You can drive it around and people can look at you and say, wow, they're really going to be somebody. But one of these days, that car is going to be in the junkyard with the rest of the other cars. That's just the way that it is. So there are things that we put value on in the earth today. There are things that we put value on in our life today that don't tend to last. We think they last because they may outlast us, but they're really not going to last. What really matters is your legacy. And when you make Christ your legacy, then that's the only legacy that's going to matter. There's a scripture that says this, the grass may wither and the flower may fade, but God's word will stand 
forever. So my encouragement to you today is to be relentless in making sure that you pass the message of the cross of Jesus Christ to your children, to your grandchildren, to the next generation. Your legacy, your belief system is the only thing that you can leave that will stand the test of time until Jesus comes. I remember years ago when Donna and I got married and um, everybody was talking about how that Pastor Morgan lived over in Shalimar. Oh, he lives in Shalimar Estates. That was supposed to be a really nice place there over close to where the church was. And when you went in, of course, there weren't very many gated communities back then. When you went in, they had the nice entrance. And so, you know, where I grew up, you just turned down the street. Okay, they live on the corner of Cook Avenue and Tin Pan Alley. That's where our first house was. The corner of Cook Avenue and Tin Pan Alley in a place called Hungry Holler. That's where we, where Donna, that was our, Donna and I's first house. You could sit in that house. You could look through the wall and see the neighbor. You could look up and see the stars if it was nighttime. You could look down. You could see the ground if you really wanted to. If you pulled the rug back and took that can that we had flattened out and nailed down and put over that hole where the knot used to be, you know, how many's ever, you know what I'm talking about? You could just look down. You could see the ground. I was walking across <laughs> the kitchen floor. And the floor was jiggly like that. And I was walking across the kitchen floor and I saw something out of the corner of my eye come in my direction. I reached up and went like that. The refrigerator was falling over on me. That was our first house. Okay? <laughs> what are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. He lived in Shalimar Estates. They had a grand entrance to Shalimar Estates. We went past Shalimar Estates this week and I looked at that and I thought, wow. That's not as grand as I thought it was. And it's just 25 years later. 30, 30 years. It's just 30. It's just 30 years later. But what stood the test of time is what he left. His legacy. The grandson that stood up and preached that was 21, 22 years old. The man that delivered the eulogy who was a spiritual son in the faith. The one that preached the main message who at 14 years old was telling stories about how the, he said the first time I ever really heard him pray was when I was, when I was mowing his yard and he said the, the, the lawnmower quit and he said I heard some, a ruckus in the house and he said I went over by the window and he said it really wasn't much of a ruckus it was just Pastor Morgan on his knees in prayer with the window open and the neighborhood could hear it. He was praying. That man today is as older, older than I am and has pastored three or four different churches and is full-time in the ministry, Pastor Morgan left his mark. And it made me think about what kind of mark are we going to leave? What kind of mark, not just am I going to leave, but what kind of mark are you going to leave? Every single one of you are going to leave a mark. You're going to leave a mark. You're going to leave a mark that's good or you're going to leave a mark that's bad. And so I want to encourage you to pass on to your kids. I want to encourage you to embrace the thing that lasts. I want to encourage you to focus on investing in that which stands the test of time. And that which stands the test of time is not built with wood and it's not built with hay and it's not built with stubble and it's not built with stucco. That which stands the test of time is a belief system that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and that Jesus is coming again. 
2,000 years later, after over 2,000 years later, after his resurrection, there are ministers who are preaching to millions of people all over the world here today on Sunday declaring that Jesus, the one that was crucified and rose again, is still alive. That message has stood the test of time. I can't tell you what the house that Jesus grew up in looks like. I don't even know what the donkey looks like that he rode into Jerusalem on. I mean, that was his car. I don't even know what the donkey looks like. But I can tell you what he taught. I can tell you what he preached. I can tell you what he promoted. And what he promoted was things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So as I was sitting there, I began to think, now more than ever, I will not relent. I will preach this message until the day that I die. I will pray until the day that I die. I will fast and, until, as long as my body lets me and as long as the Lord lets me and I'm not going to give up on this generation. This generation is going to experience the glory of God. This generation is going to experience the power of God. They don't have to experience it the way my generation did. They don't have to experience it the way the generation before them did. They're not going to experience it that way. But I'm going to be involved in making sure that they have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to cause them to carry this message of the gospel of Jesus in the guarded places of their heart and their soul that the enemy that tries to snatch things away can't take out of them so they will one day stand in a pulpit and declare or on the street corner or whatever and declare to the next generation that God loves them too. And God cares about them too. So as I began to think about that, I thought, you know, I'm not going to give up on prayer. I'm not going to give up on our nation. I'm not going to give up on this generation. So that led me to the familiar scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14 where the Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now that's the Bible. That's what the Word of God says. The promise of God is that if we will humble ourselves and pray, seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, He will hear from heaven, forgive our sins and heal our land. If there ever was a time that our land needed to be healed, it's now. I will not relent. I am not going to give up on America. I am not going to give up on the land of the free and the home of the brave. I will not relent. We will declare what the Word of God says. We will pray every day on our knees for America. We will pull down the strongholds that tries to tear down the greatest nation that God ever raised up. We'll pull down those strongholds in the name of Jesus and we're going to ask God to pour out His Spirit once again across our land. And I'm going to ask God to pour it on young legs. I'm going to ask God to pour it on young hearts. I'm going to ask God to pour it into young minds. I'm going to ask God to pour it into fearless young leaders who will stand up and declare, Thus saith the Lord without fear and without favor, because this is what the Bible says. I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible and if the Bible says if we will humble ourselves, if we'll come off of our high horses, if we'll humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek His face, that means we've got to do more than just pray two-bit prayers. 
We've got to seek His face. We've got to get involved in spiritual warfare. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. We've got to get involved in spiritual warfare. We've got to pull down strongholds. We've got to bind. We've got to loose. We've got to identify. We've got to discern. We have a responsibility as Christians to pray for our nation. America is still the greatest nation on the face of the the earth. No other nation has sent as many missionaries to the world as America has. No other nation has trained as many people for the work of the ministry as America has. Somehow, someway, the enemy is trying to get us off track. And let me tell you why I think that is. I think it's because the church has quit praying. Now, I'm going to get right down to where we live. Yesterday, I was having to put this message together in pieces uh, because of my travel schedule this week. And so yesterday I was sitting and I I asked the Lord, my mind went back. I can take you back. I, I don't want to start reminiscing or we'll be here half the day, but I can take you back to some of the services when I was a child where when you were approaching the sanctuary outside, you could hear the cries of the saints in the altars on the inside. People talk about how God moved. They talk about the power of God. They talk about the miracles that took place. They talk about people's lives that were changed and transformed. They talk about three and four hour services, not because you wanted to go and stay three or four hours, but because the power of God was just moving and no one wanted to leave. After 15 minutes, no one wanted to leave. There are times we had to round people up and make them leave. They didn't want to leave because of the presence of God. And I was thinking about that, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is it? I said, what is it today? I said, you know, we've got a few folks that like to hang around, but I said the majority of our congregation, and I don't mean this in a fault-finding way at all, it's just an observation, but I said the majority of our congregation, they love each other, they talk with one another, they fellowship with one another, but it's almost like, you know, we got to get this service over so we can get out, out the door and go down and get us something to eat and things like that. And I, and I said it's like they're almost in a rush to go to the back door instead of rushing to the front to spend time with the Lord. And I asked the Lord, I said, what is it? And it's like the Lord spoke to me and he said, the prayer warriors have given up. I said, well, what happened to the prayer warriors? And the Lord took me and to, to the grandmas that used to pray. You used to hear those grandmas praying. And I said, Lord, where are those grandmas right now? And here's what he showed me. They're on social media. That's what he showed me. I said, social media? He said, yes, Jonathan. They kneel at the altar and check their Facebook status. The time that they used to spend, not just grandmas, but I'm talking about people that prayed. I'm talking about prayer warriors. The people that used to spend time in prayer are so wrapped up in social media that the time that we used to spend in prayer is no longer spent in real prayer. It's like, well, let me get on here and see who needs prayer. Okay, Lord, touch them. Thank you, Lord. Going on to the next. Okay, Lord, touch them. Okay, thank you, Lord. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Look, ooh, I think I'm going to repost that one. That one looks really, really good. Uh That's really funny. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, hmm. Took my wife to the store. She had never been to a grocery store. Hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, first got married, took her to the store. She said, honey, these potatoes, they, they're growing hair. And I said, no, honey, those aren't potatoes. Those are coconuts. You know, I mean, just, you know, I mean, just stupid stuff, right? It's funny. It's hilarious. But, you know, those are bananas, honey. Well, I thought it was a corn cob. I was wondering where the corn was, you know. It just, and so, and so I'm asking God, I said, where are they? And he said, he said, most of my church in America is on social media instead of praying. And I said, God, what do I say to these people about this? Because I know that you know, we use social media as a tool to just be a blessing to people and whatnot and get information out and things. And you know, I'm not preaching against social media. But it's like the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to challenge the people to spend as much time with me this week as they do on their social media. So if you spend an hour and a half or two hours a day on social media, spend an hour and a half or two hours with the Lord. Or better yet, you say, well, that's all the time that I have. Then give God 45 minutes or 50 minutes or an hour of it and spend the other 30 minutes on social media. Why? Because if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their lands. And then look at verse number 15. It says, and when this happens, it says, my eyes will be open and my ears will be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Checking your social media status is not what gets his eyes open and his ears attend. It's the prayers of the saints. It's the prayers of the saints. I'm not telling you not to check your social media status. I'm not telling you to, take, to quit doing that. I'm telling you to give God his time. Give him his time. Make time for prayer. If we, if we, if we can make time for other things, then we need to make time to talk to God. You see, life is about priorities, and we've got to move God back up the priority scale to number one again. We've got to make sure that He's the one that we make sure that we have time with. Now, Mark chapter 9, verses 23 through 29, you can go there later if you would like. We find a place in the Scripture where the Bible said that Jesus healed a young man with a deaf and dumb spirit. And in that place there, the Bible says that Jesus looked at, the, at them and said, and said, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And so we, we go on there, and Jesus helps this young man get set free. He helps him get set free, and then Jesus makes a statement to them. He says, later on, they're about verse 29 or something like that, Jesus said, these things, some things only come out through prayer and fasting. So I want to encourage you that there are some things that's only going to move the hand of God through fasting and prayer. I realize that as we get older, that our bodies adjust differently and, and we can't fast the way that we could. So what we have to do is we have to adjust and find out what works. I want to just give you some ideas on some things that you may, may be able to fast. Because you take medication or whatever, you may not be able to fast all of your meals, but maybe you could fast sugar and caffeine. Oh, pastor, I can't believe you said... Well, fast... Well, well, well fasting... Fasting is about 
putting the flesh down and allowing room for the spirit to rise. I'm going to tell you the truth. My body wants caffeine every day. In fact, I get hangry for caffeine sometimes. Donna will look at me and say, you're addicted to caffeine. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but there's things you can fast. Well, I can't fast anything like that. Anything that goes in my mouth, I can't fast. Then fast the news. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, pastor, don't tell me to fast. i got to know what's going on in the world. Do you really? Do you really? What about, you'd be surprised how much better you would feel about the world if you just quit watching the news for a month. It would change the way that you look at the world. It would change the way that you look at things. It wouldn't it? I mean, I'm just trying to encourage you. The Bible says that we need to fast and pray. Fasting is denying the flesh what the flesh desires. Now, in the Scripture, traditionally, fasting was fasting food and fasting water, and that's what Jesus did. But let me tell you something. You're not Jesus. Okay? So, I did the 40-day fast thing with nothing but water there that one time, and I just about died. I don't recommend that to anyone. Now, it was led by the Lord for me to do that, and that's what actually got us into Florida, here into Florida, because uh, the Lord had to get through my hard noggin that we needed to come down here. And the Lord knew that was the only way that that would happen. But the point that I'm trying to make here is we need to do something that denies our flesh, gives room for our spirit to grow. So maybe start fasting the news. Fast the news. Find something to fast. Find something that you can tell the flesh no about and allow the spirit to grow inside of you. So Jesus said, these kind come not out but through prayer and through fasting. So as time goes on, especially here in America where food is in abundance, we really seriously need to take another look at that scripture and realize that Jesus encourages us to fast and pray. Fast and pray. Maybe fast breakfast all week. Maybe fast lunch all week. Maybe fast a meal or two for a couple of days and, and something like that. Or fast one day and off a day and fast another day and off a day. Do whatever the Lord guides you and leads you to do. The, the, the third thing I want to mention to you is stay in the Word. Just stay in the Word. You've got to stay in the Word. Do not relent. Make up your mind. I'm going to stay in the Word, and I'm going to not just stay in the Word, but I'm going to work the Word, and then I'm going to keep believing for revival. I'm not going to give up on God moving in this generation. Why would you say that, Pastor? Here's the reason. Why would you be talking about this? Because this is war. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12 that we fight not against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Now listen, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now let me share something with you about that spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible said that God's highly exalted Jesus and, and took him above principalities and powers and every name that is named and gave him a place at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. And then the Bible said that God has raised us up together with Christ to sit in that place. So even though there are principalities and powers here on the earth, the place that God has positioned you is far above those principalities. We have authority over the devil. You have authority over the devil. If the devil's messing with your family, it's because you're letting him. Hello? 
If the devil's messing with your head, it's because you're letting him. If the devil's messing with your marriage, it's because you're letting him. Quit letting the devil have a party in your head. Evict him. Say, there's no room for you, devil. You can't live in my mind anymore. You can't live in my head anymore. I'm not going to let you make me live in discouragement. No, no, no. I read my Bible. The Bible said that I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And devil, you're not going to have a party in my head anymore. When you come knocking on the door, you're going to hear the song, nobody's home, nobody's home. No, no. We're not going to let the devil in. We don't let the devil in. This is war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness, of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me put it like this. The days of pathological Christianity are over. What does that mean, Pastor? What that means is there's no more time to quietly serve God. We need to be out there demonstrating what it's like to be a Christian walking in the power of the Spirit, talking in the power of the Spirit, expressing the power of the Spirit, showing the love of Christ, having compassion on our community, having compassion on our friends, having compassion on our neighbors. We've got to be relentless in this. We've got to realize we're at war. We are at war for the soul of our family. We're at war for the soul of our community. We're at war for the soul of our nation. And we're at war for, for Christianity as a whole. People are trying to redefine Christianity. They're trying to redefine the Word of God. They're trying to redefine what the Word of God says about us and about our lives. And we're at war with that. Our war as, as the identity of a family, as an identity of the nation, we're at war. And it's time to defeat the enemy of our soul, the enemy of our mind and our will and our emotions. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You know what that means? That means when somebody comes up to you and they start running your mouth, you can bust them in the mouth with your fist if you want to, but that's not going to solve anything. Your flesh wants to do that. Your flesh wants to break their nose. And when they look at you and say, why'd you do that? Say, well, the Bible said in the book of Proverbs that the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood, and I just wanted to see if that worked. <laughs> I don't know why my mind goes like that sometimes. <laughs> There's a scripture for everything. The Bible said that <laughs> the Bible said that we if we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. And then it goes on in verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then in verse number 5, it begins to talk about what those, those strongholds are. Verse number 5, it says, casting down imaginations. Did you know that imagination is a stronghold? Let me talk to you about that for just a few moments, okay? Have you ever had someone come to you and say, I don't know why you feel about me the way that you feel about me. And you look at them and you say, could you please enlighten me on how I feel about you? And they tell you something way off the wall over here. And inside you're thinking, 
I haven't put enough thought into even thinking about you to even come up with anything like that. <laughs> I mean, have you ever, you know, you know? But you look at them and you say, I don't know where you got that, but that never even crossed my mind. Well, here's where, here's where it came from. The enemy. The enemy creating imaginations in people's hearts. Enemy creating imaginations. Listen, here's, here's, here's a good, and I, let me just kind of use myself as, as an example. That way I, can't, I don't think I'll offend myself. Okay? All right. All right. The devil may tell you, that pastor feels such and such about you because when he walked past you, he didn't even say hi. Do you know how many people I walk past every day? I try to talk to people, but when, when, when I'm focused on bringing the word, when I'm focused here, especially having services and things like that, then that's where my focus is. And if I pass you and it offends you, I apologize. I don't mean for that to happen. But don't you go off letting the devil try to put a lie inside of you. Well, he doesn't care about you. Otherwise, he would have said something to you when he walked past me. We actually have a couple that left our church early on when we got here. They left the church because they said the pastor would never talk to me. I said, you didn't ever talk to me. All you'd have had to do was say, hi. And I'd have said, hi. And then you could have said, how you doing? I'd said, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm blessed. How, how are you? And then you could have said anything you wanted to me. All it took was a hi. But here I am, not even knowing you're offended, and you're gone because I didn't say hi when I walked past you at Easter when there was 324 people out here. That's an imagination. You see, and that is a weapon. Listen to me, this will set you free. I'm trying to give you stuff that will help you today, like I do every Sunday. This is... The devil will use that as a weapon over and over and over. He'll convince you that people have opinions about you, that people don't, don't even have an opinion about you. And he'll convince you that they have wrong opinions about you. He'll convince you that people think things that they're not thinking. He'll convince you that people meant things that they said when they didn't mean it that way at all. The enemy will use that as an imagination. And the Bible said we're supposed to cast down imaginations. So how do we cast down imaginations like that? Well, you just don't take offense. The only offense that is effective is the offense that's taken, so don't take it. Just say, I'm going to decline that, that offense. I'm just not going to walk in. In fact, I'm going to walk in forgiveness. And the enemy will come and he'll try to build up these imaginations inside of our heart, inside of our mind. I want to encourage you, don't let the devil have a party in your head. Don't let the devil mess with you. Don't let the devil create imaginations inside of you that are not true about other people or about yourself or any. Don't let the devil mess with your head. Don't let him do that. And so that's what, what the Bible's talking about here. It says, The weapons over warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And the first stronghold that he talks about there is imaginations, casting down imaginations. And then it goes on and it says, Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That is a stronghold. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I just don't know if I agree with it. What are you smoking? Are you serious? That's the Word. This is the Word. It's the Bible. 
It's the Bible. You, 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 can, you can choose whether you want to believe it or not, but whether you choose whether you believe it or not, it's still true. It's still true. Facts change. The truth remains. And so, uh, you know, so what the enemy does a lot of times is he'll, he'll try to get us to start questioning the Scripture. He'll try to get us to question the authenticity of the Word of God. He'll try to get us to question what the Scriptures say. He'll try to get us to twist those Scriptures up inside of our mind, to try to twist the Scriptures up and make the Word of God say what we want it to say so we can have our theology instead of what the Word of God says. I want to tell you something. The Bible says that not one jot or one tittle from the Word of God will pass. If I have preached something for 40 years and I open up the Scripture and I see where I preached it wrong, I've done it here before. I've done it. I will get in the pulpit and I will say, whoops. I've done it before, haven't I? I was studying something and the Lord showed me something different and I've been in error with this as time goes on because I'm human just like you are. But what the enemy will do is he'll try to get you to start questioning your faith. He'll try to get you to start questioning the reality of God. He'll, he'll get you to start questioning whether this is really and truly the Word of God. He'll try to get you to question the canonization of Scripture. He'll try to get you to question how come there's only 66 books that we have here when there's like the book of Maccabees and all of these other kinds of books. How did they all make the cut? Well, I could get into that with you, but we're not going to this morning. But he will do everything that he can to try to discredit the Word of God. And the Bible said it's a stronghold. A stronghold that's every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The Word of God says that holy men of God wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. Can I be honest with you? I'm going to be straight up honest. I mean like raw honest. You ready? There are some things in this Bible that I just wish wasn't there. Because my flesh wants to do that. But the Word says, don't do that. So I don't. And there's the temptation to twist it around and try to make it... Give me permission to do what my flesh wants to do. You can never receive through reason that which you can only get through revelation. I said you, can all, you cannot receive you, through reason that which you can only get through revelation. And so that's why the Bible said the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our guide. So we make ourselves available for the grand teacher of us all, the Holy Spirit, to allow the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him to enlighten us as we open up the Scriptures and reread the Word of God. And then... We don't change that word, it changes us. It makes us more like Christ. So a stronghold in the last days is every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God or the teachings of the Scripture. Well, I know it's in the Bible, but I just don't really see it that way. Just because you don't see it that way doesn't mean it's okay. 
And then the Bible said, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness, verse 6, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the last stronghold that we're talking about today is the stronghold of disobedience. Listen, you can know what the Word says and you can disobey the Word of God. The Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin is a willful transgression against the law of God. That is the theological definition of sin. A willful transgression against the law of God. I love God too much to willfully transgress His law. And I'm praying that God helps all of us feel that way. God, we, we want You to enlighten our path. God, we want You to teach us things pertaining to the Scriptures. We want You to open up the Scriptures to us so we can see the Scriptures, so we know how to walk, because we realize that the Word of God is our roadmap. So I'm not going to disobey you, God. Whatever your Word says to do, I'm going to do it. If your Word says don't do something, I'm not going to do it. Whether my flesh wants to or whether I don't. God, I'm going to obey your Word. Last thing we're talking about today is that this is war. The enemy fights against us. He fights against us through imaginations. He fights against us through high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. He fights against us with the temptation to disobey. He fights against us to try to get us to be quiet and not to be loud. And, you know, you can go ahead and be a practicing Christian if you would like, but sit over here in the corner and don't raise your voice and don't say anything. We're just going to make you a pathological Christian, a quiet Christian, someone who doesn't stir. The enemy fights against us. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So it's war. It's a spiritual war. And it's a spiritual war also over our families. We need to do more than just pray for our kids. We need to go to war for our kids. A few years back, my beautiful son, handsome in every way, because he looks like his mother, Susie looks like me. I tell her she's a handsome woman. <laughs> Jeremiah looks like his mother. I tell him he's a beautiful man. But when he was in high school, four, five years, six years, something like that, I can't remember when, but it's been back then. He just went stupid. He went stupid. There's no other way to say it. He went stupid. He lost his brain. He got to the point where, I, in fact, I looked at him, I said, what did you do? Check your brain out, set it on the shelf, and say, I'll go back and see you in 26 years. You know, but he did. He went and he got to the point where he didn't want anybody to know that his daddy was a pastor. And he'll admit this to this day. I'm not embarrassing him. He'll admit it. He got to the point where he didn't want anyone to admit, he just didn't want anybody to know my dad's a pastor. Well, that's pretty hard for him in this community because everybody in this community knows me as, my, as a pastor, and they pretty much know who my family is. But he actually did things his senior year in high school to make sure that he would distance himself. To I don't want no, 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 no. So 
but we're praying one day. For some reason, you know, even when he was that way, if he really needed prayer, he always still came to Daddy for prayer. And so we were praying one day. It was a Sunday morning. We were all here. It was the end of one of those worship services where we had people come forward for prayer. And I got over to him, and Sister Bonnie Davis, she mentioned to me later, she wrote me a little note or came to me and said something about it. She said, I've never seen a daddy go to war for their son like you did today. I got a hold of him. And when I saw him, I was just going to lay my hands on him and pray for him. Something rose up in me and I got a hold of him and I grabbed a hold of him and I began to pray in the spirit and I said, devil, this is my seed and you will not have my son. And I went to war in the spirit. And for about 10 minutes, then he started going, oh, oh, like that, you know. You know I'm like, shut up, devil. You know, and God was setting him free. Then after we got through with that, then we put him on an airplane and sent him up with a one-way ticket up to his mamma in Kentucky where a bunch of praying grandmas were and they got a hold of him and worked him over again. Amen. When he came back, he was straight, straight as a string. The point I'm trying to make is there's times when you've got to go to war for your kids. My daughter Susie, who's not up here right now, she's probably tired. She slept till 3 o'clock, or, or slept. She worked till 3 o'clock this morning. And so she was really exhausted up here. But when she was in school, when she was in college, she went to college, to a Christian Bible college. And she went up there to college. And I could tell something was off. So I went to prayer, and I began to pray. And... You know, there's times when I pray when I can see things rather clearly and there's times when I pray when things are somewhat cloudy. But when it comes to my kids, it's always pretty clear, really pretty clear. And so I'm praying and I'm praying for Susie and I said, God, something is wrong. It's off. There's, it's just not. And the Lord, the Lord showed me. He, he told me. He gave me the place where she was. He gave me the time that she was there. <laughs> he told me what she was doing. He actually, he actually told me this. He said, she is in a club downtown Cleveland. It's like about two o'clock in the morning and there are people pressuring her to drink. She doesn't want to drink. So she's taking the drink that she had in her, in her uh, hand and she went over and she dumped it in a plant and acted like she was. I mean, the Lord gave me details. I mean, details. So we went up for Thanksgiving dinner. Up, up north and so we had Thanksgiving dinner Susie came up and everything fine a couple of three days whatever we're just hanging out just being a family so came time for us to leave and I said Susie come with daddy I said I'm taking your breakfast we went down to Hardy's we sat down at breakfast and I love to spend one on one time with my kids I don't get to do that very much and I think they like it too she felt good that it was just her and daddy and so we're sitting there. I said, so how's things going? And she starts, you know, with her fake, oh, things are wonderful, things are great, and all that kind of stuff. I said, what's this day mean? This day, this place, this time, this is what you did. And her eyes got my biggest. How did you know that? I said, do you have to ask? I can't do anything without God telling my daddy about it. 
And I looked at her and I said, baby, listen to me. I said, this is not who you are. And it's not who you're going to be. I said, I'm going to release you to go back to college. But you need to know that I will beat the hounds of hell off your tail. I said, they're not having my kids. Big tears came into her eyes. She began to weep there at that table. And she said, I know, Dad. I know. It wasn't too long after that. She started turning. The enemy put a bid out. You know why? Because he knew the talent that God put in her. He knew the anointing that was on her life. He knew all of these things. Well, what would have happened if you wouldn't have said anything? She probably would have been in the world today. Parents, I'm telling you right now, don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your Pray over your kids. Love your kids. Even when it's hard to love them, love them. Just love them. Pray over them. Make sure they know it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how you conduct yourself. Daddy still loves you. Mama still loves you. Daddy's praying for you. Mama's praying for you. There's always a place where you can come where you will be loved and where you can get prayer. God turned Shauna's life back around. Brought her here. She was sitting back there for three months. The devil having a party in her head. I began to look at her up here while I was preaching and while worship was going on. And I saw a praise in her. I saw a song in her spirit. And I saw the devil accusing her over here, just pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. And I walked up to her one sun, Sunday after church and I looked at her and I said, baby, I said, the devil can't have your song. I said, I'm not going to let him have your song. And she broke and began to cry. And we began to talk. And we began to minister to her. And she got right back up here. And look at how the Lord is using her right now. Because somebody had the audacity to say, the devil can't have your song. I'm going long. I need to shut up. get this across to us today. Be relentless. Be relentless for this generation. They're probably not going to worship like you did. They're probably not going to sing like you did. They're probably not going to dress like you did. They're probably not going to act like you did. They're probably... They're not you. They're not you. But God loves them. And so should we. And I love them. And I have a passion to see God show them, their, show them His glory. And I know it's going to happen. I can feel, I can feel an undercurrent in this church. I can feel something happening in the spiritual realm. I can feel this. You ever feel that, Kathy? Just that in the spirit. I can just sense it. I can feel it. I can sense it. I know God's getting ready to just go on this next generation. I want to be there when the gully washer comes. I don't have to be center stage. I can be over on the side and I can egg them on. Preach, shout, sing, worship. I don't have to be center stage. I'm ready for God to open up the heavens and pour out His Spirit once again. I'm going to be relentless. Let's all stand. Come on. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. 
Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed. 